Our reading today comes from the fifth chapter of Matthew, verses 21 to 26. Listen for the word of God. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with them to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, I pray that you speak through me and when and where necessary in spite of me. And Lord, let the word of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning, in the time that I have with you all, I would like to preach and teach on a sermon entitled, If You Are. If You Are. The stakes are high. When you come to worship, when you come to the altar, if there is anger in you towards someone else or a conflict between you and another person, then run. Run to reconcile. Leave your offerings at the altar. Reconciliation is urgent. These are high stakes for any of us. In the years I have been in ministry, I've had an up-close and personal view of the altar or the table. There is often not a sight more beautiful than a crowd of people in line to receive the bread and the wine. However, if my memory serves me correctly, I do not recall ever seeing someone leave the line, drop everything, and go make amends with others. That can seem impractical, and it was to the, to the disciples and those who first heard this sermon too to leave a busy altar area to go and reconcile. But if we think too much about how impractical the advice of Jesus is to the disciples and to us, we miss the importance of what Jesus is talking about. It's time to get right. Get right. Get right with others. Get right with God. We do not get to pick and choose. It is always both. The stakes are high. I received a passive-aggressive email last night, and I wanted to respond in kind. I also know what it is like to have anger towards someone else gnaw at me until it creeps into my heart and mind and prevents me from doing little more than stewing. And I'm sure that if I really thought about it, if I wasn't rushing through the rituals of religion, I'd remember that there is someone I have injured someone who, who I have cut down with words, someone with whom I have caused pain. And even with the heaviness of my heart, 
sometimes contrite and sometimes proud in my own perceived righteousness. I don't know how many times I go, how many times I go from this space, from this table, from this sanctuary, and make it right. Jesus is asking of the disciples and of us to do something uncomfortable. If the saying is Jesus, of Jesus is true, that Jesus came to, afflict, to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, then this passage reminds me that I am in the latter. We are at an uncomfortable part of the Sermon on the Mount. It is as if all the rhetoric about salt and light was the biblical equivalent of us all receiving the You Are Special ribbon and stickers. But today's scripture is a little bit more direct and reminds us that the cross we pick up when we follow Christ is indeed a difficult one, one that asks a lot of us. Jesus confronts us with the heavy weight of liturgical ethics. Jesus hits us at matters that are practical, matters concerning broken relationships. If we were to look at the entire gospel reading for this Sunday, which the lectionary quotes as Matthew 5, 21 through 38, then we would see Jesus interpreting the laws that deal with broken relationships, with anger, with divorce, with lust. The question at hand in these verses is how can I, how can you, how can we make sacrifices upon the altar of God while harboring anger, malice, even insulting words in our heart. This question is part of the reconciliation rhetoric. It is rhetoric not just to make us think, but to make us act. Words of, Je of Jesus that transform us into doing the work of Jesus. Seeking forgiveness, offering forgiveness. We do not get to have the luxury of just a personal relationship with God. The story is not about me and God, but, about at, but at all times about God and us. We cannot worship with a pure heart if there is conflict between us and another sibling in Christ. The call in this passage is to go. Go and seek reconciliation. Go and make amends. If only the work of reconciliation was as easy as leaving the line and going up to someone for whom we have caused injury or has injured us. No. Reconciliation is long and dirty. Reconciliation can seem at times like an exercise in futility. Perhaps there is a person in our lives for which infraction after infraction has been swept under the rug. Now that rug is a hill, and there is no way to move forward without tripping. Repairing that relationship will take time it will take vulnerability. Jesus' concern in this passage is not that we get angry, for Jesus himself gets angry and knows that anger is a part of being human. Jesus' concern is what we do with that anger. Does it grow in us and metastasize? Does it become an idol? Does it lead us to the, to the murder of the spirit or body? This particular antithesis statement one of the six in the larger Sermon on the Mount, in the Gospel of Matthew, harkens back to a time when anger and sacrifice led to murder, in the story of Cain and Abel. Anger is real, anger eats at us, conflict is real, and conflict affects us. One of my favorite sermons, if not my favorite sermon, is on this passage, preached by Fred Craddock, 
In the weeks leading up to this morning, I wondered what I might offer that Craddock hadn't already done so well. And so I want you to hear some of his words from his sermon, If at the Altar You Remember, giving during a chapel service at Candler School of Theology at Emory University in February 2001. Calling people like us together and calling us church. Just think about it. It's impossible unless there is an atmosphere of not taking too seriously what otherwise might be regarded as slight. It just happens. Nobody intends to hurt your feelings. The person just happens to be under-socialized, socially awkward, didn't mean anything by it. Went down the hall, didn't speak to you, preoccupied. Did you know that some faculty and students come to school some days at war with themselves? And when you're at war with yourselves, it's very likely you'll make casualties of even your friends. When we are at war with ourselves, so many times our anger at and within ourselves is, the, is what bleeds into the actions that anger or harm others. Anger corrodes us inwardly and outwardly. If this is who we are, the first step in reconciliation is to reconcile ourselves back to God. To not be afraid of the awesome grace and love that is given to us for no reason other than that God chooses to love us and know us, independent of our action or inaction. But this, too, is hard. It is hard to forgive yourself, to forgive yourself for the ways the past haunts your present. It is hard to let go of anger because so often our anger towards ourselves has become an intimate bedfellow. Craddock, in that same sermon, later tells this story. A teacher in an elementary school raises her voice at two pupils, Mary and Billy. Mary, if you don't sit down in your seat, I'm sending you to the principal's office. And Mary nudges her friend and says, Miss Crabtree is really going to miss me when I move to the next grade. Billy, did you write these words on the board? And he slinks into his seat, sullen, silent, but never forgetting, until it breaks out into incendiary form, and he's a violent person. Hurt is too often trivialized, assuming that there are bigger injustices at play than the feelings of the Billies matter somehow less. But this is not true. Your pain is real. Your anger is valid. That is why we must watch out for it before it becomes us killing us as if it is a weapon to the world because of the, of the infection in our souls. In the same sermon, Craddock says, There is no more painful, there is no more painful dismissal of my hurts than trivializing them in light of the cosmic situation. If I hurt, I hurt where I hurt. So I go back to the text. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that a brother or sister has something against you, leave the gift. You go first and be reconciled to brother and sister, and then come back and finish your worship. In other words, Jesus wants you and me to image ourselves in the most serious, most significant, most seriously sacred place and moment in our lives at worship. Now, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember, and you will, you will remember. That's the thing about the altar. It's a dangerous place, the altar. I want to warn the students that are here now. 
be careful about going to chapel. It's a very serious thing, and it can affect you in ways that will touch every moment of your life after this. There's something about being at the altar. I would avoid it if I were you. I would be truant in worship. I would be absent from every chapel service, even if I did not wish to be influenced by my own memories. If nothing else, because it will happen to you, it really will happen. Craddock described the altar as a dangerous place, a place to avoid at all costs, because the altar can stir up something in our memory. memory. And at the altar, defenses are down. Vulnerability is up. We are not trying to impress or be impressed. We are not trying to convince or be convinced. Comparing ourselves or being compared. At the altar, we are just laid bare. And if we are laid bare before God, we remember. If we remember that the stakes are high, the stakes of our worship, the stakes of our ritual and our liturgy, these stakes are incredibly high. The altar is indeed a very dangerous place. It is where we are stripped down and where we are reminded that just as we have been bruised and beaten, so too have we done the bruising and the beating. Souls crushed and souls crushing, we come to the altar, not just to remember, but to act. Memory and action, memory and action has always been what the altar is about. We say this in our liturgy on Communion Sundays. This do in remembrance of me and remembrance of Christ. And as we lay down our truest selves on the altar, we, up the, we pick up the, up the tools and the cup and the plate, the bread and the wine, to do the tough work, the work of reconciliation, the work of addressing anger, the work of addressing sadness and injustice, because our hearts are not our own, but Jesus's. We lay it on the altar, and one to repair and reconcile, but the altar stays. Return to it when your stamina and strength are weak. Return to it when the stakes seem too high, when the cross seems too heavy. The walk to the altar is this delicate dance of memory and action, action and memory. So if you are, if you are angry, if you are sad, If you are dejected, if you are the accuser, if you are the accused, if you are the hurler of insults, if you are the one who is insulted, come, come. There is something at the altar that sustains and startles us, convicts and comforts, redeems and reveals. Amen.